everybody, it is January 14th, 2019. That's a Monday, uh, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brett Ezlake, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. And while we may normally do the uh, Scrap Story episodes this Monday, uh, we are waist-deep in the North American International Auto Show. Uh, Today was the first day for press over in Detroit, Michigan, uh, this year being the last year for the Winter Auto Show. Uh, We kind of expected some things to kind of come and go with a bang, and... Well, it's only day one, so it's kind of hard to say what's happening. Uh, We've had some big announcements from Ford, Hyundai, Ram, uh, Toyota, uh, having arguably the largest announcement at the show so far. Uh, So we'll kind of cover those in chronological order as they happened uh, between late last night and early today. I think overall impressions for me from the show so far is that it's a lot of practical things that are being uh, announced, shown off. Nothing that's really blown the top off the auto show yet, but uh, there are a lot of brands that still have announcements to be made, so we'll see what happens. Uh, If you are interested in what kind of uh, programming we've got going on this week, uh, at least today, we'll kind of cover day one, tomorrow, day two. If there's any announcements on day three, we'll talk about that. Um, And if there's not really much, we'll maybe kick it on down the road till the weekend uh, on Friday, where we'll talk uh, some general thoughts about what showed up at the Detroit Auto Show. And then I'm hoping myself to be able to go to the show either this weekend or next weekend to see some of the cars in person. Uh, But as I normally say on every episode of this show, uh, this podcast is made available for free on a wide variety of platforms, including Spotify, uh, Apple iTunes, uh, Google Play Podcasts, and so much more. So if you could do me a favor, uh, give us a like, subscribe, give us a rating, uh, even a comment, that would be greatly appreciated. And uh, yeah, so after the bump, we'll talk about uh, one of the first big announcements, and that came out of GM, and more specifically Cadillac with the XT6 crossover. So there are a few things that can be said about the new Cadillac XT6. I think first off, it's that it is a very smart move for Cadillac to have a premium uh, front drive unibody uh, crossover in their lineup uh, heading into the next decade as they have uh, been caught caught flat-footed largely because of the lack of crossovers and SUVs in their lineup. Yes, the Escalade had been there. Yes, the SRX come XT5 had been there. Uh, but the XT4 was a late addition, and it's not exactly blown the the roof off the sucker, to say the least, uh, when it comes to uh, reviews and accolades and so much more. This XT6 seems to be a little more safe in terms of the playbook. Uh, The general gist of what's going on is that it is using the architecture that sits beneath uh, crossovers like the Chevy Traverse, GMC Acadia, Buick Enclave, uh, and adapts it into a slightly smaller overall body profile. Um, It's a very slim and trim Buick Enclave. So uh, front drive biased chassis uh, with a standard 3.6 liter V6 and a 10, excuse me, a 9 speed automatic. It has optional all-wheel drive. Um, If you choose the sport model, it is standard to have all-wheel drive. The standard premium trim uh, has a front or all-wheel drive. More or less, it sounds like this thing's about the size of a Volvo XC90, which I think is a perfect target vehicle for Cadillac. Um, 
general Cadillac touches are there. It's got the new um, Escala-inspired front grille, so it looks a little bit like the uh, new Cadillac CT6. Uh, other interesting things about the vehicle, well, there's really not much. Uh, I, I would say that if you can imagine a large a crossover Cadillac SUV, your brain pretty much gets an idea of where it's at. This thing is substantially or smaller than the Escalade, so it does give it some space to breathe, um, but it will capture a lot of sales. Hopefully, maybe, possibly, from something like the XC90 or the uh, Audi Q7. I think where my disappointment comes on this vehicle granted without having seen it in person is the overall lack of enthusiasm when it comes to designing the interior while the seating surfaces look quite plush and there is some interesting design elements that Cadillac has been using in some of their interior designs as of late uh, it really lacks a lot of inspiration compared to other vehicles in the segment namely again the Volvo XC90 and the Audi Q7 I think the Q8 might be at least in terms of style on the exterior, a little more of a better competitor because it's got that new updated Audi look. But overall, I mean, this Cadillac looks really good from the outside, but the inside just doesn't seem to be impressing. Uh, there was a video I was watching of a TFL car where they were showing some of the interior pieces of the dash, and while you could see that some of it was leather, the wood just looked plasticky and fake. Uh, the carbon fiber trim on the Sport model looked incredibly cheap. Uh, the plastics on the center console looked like they came out of a Chevy. Like, there just didn't really seem to be a lot of effort in moving this entire project upmarket uh, in a way that seems satisfying. Now, what I do find interesting, though, is that Cadillac is trying to make it a more premium personal experience in this vehicle. Um, as much as the Buick Enclave has really dominated this segment for GM over the past decade or so, uh, this new Cadillac takes that platform, a lot of the engineering that they learned on it, uh, adapts a very sporty uh, four-wheel drive system that's actually basically the same system that's in the Ford Focus RS. Uh, it should give this crossover some very serious sporting potential, which I think has some more interesting applications in a V-Sport model, if they ever decide to go down that route. Uh, but really, it's that it's a Buick uh, Enclave underneath but the overall body size is a lot smaller. So kind of think of like what Honda did with the Pilot and the Passport. Uh, granted, the Passport lost its third row seat. This Cadillac does have a third row seat, um, but there's like basically no space behind the third row uh, when those seats are folded up. So, you know, practicality standpoint, I think most people who will buy this are probably never going to use the third row. Uh, they're going to keep just probably driver passenger and maybe one kid in the back and this would be more than good for that if you've got the money that you want to blow on a Cadillac like this you know be my guest as of sorts but I think what's also going to be interesting to see is where they put the price point on this um, as I've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast if the new Chevy Blazer is a $50,000 SUV this has got to be a sixty dollars or $70,000 SUV and at that price point you know, the jump from there to the Escalade is still pretty significant, but it's not huge. And, like, you can tell that they were kind of weary on the size change there. So we'll see how many of these Cadillac does sell. I imagine it's going to be quite a few, especially here in the Midwest. Uh, but, you know, hey, when you got to make money, you got to make money. And I guess Cadillac is planning to do just that. So one production car that's always kind of seemed to escape me 
as of sorts, is the Lexus RCF. The RCF has been around for a few years now. Uh, it was the follow-up to the IS Coupe performance line uh, that had been there. But the RCF had taken a rather overweight, strangely sized performance coupe that really got lambasted by the press uh, when it came to overall drivability and capability. Uh, and the F model, you know, throws a big V8 in there, uh, makes it a little bit quicker, but it never was quite enough, especially when you compared it to the BMW M3, uh, the C63 from Mercedes, uh, even a Camaro SS or a Mustang GT will run circles around this car for tens of thousands of dollars less. So here comes Lexus at this Detroit Auto Show with a brand new uh, updated version of, or version of the RCF called the RCF Track. Uh, the Track Edition will uh, remove about 176 pounds from the vehicle uh, with extensive use of carbon fiber as well as adding some interesting aero bits uh, that add as much as 58 more pounds of downforce to the car but also reduces drag. I'm not exactly sure how the science works on that, uh, but it is an interesting choice nevertheless. Uh, the 5 liter V8 has been reworked inside this car, and it is one good 5 liter V8. Uh, it's now pumping out 472 brake horsepower, uh, matched to an 8 speed automatic that is sourced from the old Lexus RR, excuse me, the old Lexus LS. Um, is it a track performance machine? Uh, they seem to say that it will be, um, you know, up close and personal, you know, I, I get the feeling that it is going to be a relatively impressive car. I do like the LFA inspired interior that it is using. That was always a strong suit on the uh, RC model to begin with. Uh, but the new aero bits, I think go a long way to make the car look at the very least more aggressive, perhaps a bit more capable on track, but I'm not exactly uh, crossing my fingers that it's going to take a bite out of the M3's performance numbers. That being said, the engineers over at Toyota, and specifically the Gazoo uh, Performance Group, uh, who have a lot of other work on their plate right now, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, uh, I would assume that they've finessed this one just a bit. Uh, they seem to have a pretty good finger on the pulse of where things need to be going when it comes to performance applications at Toyota. And uh, I don't know. I mean, at the very least, I'm excited that there's one more competitor in this segment. I'm excited that it is still using a naturally aspirated V8. Uh, but in the end, it's not something I would ever want to spend my money on. Not that I ever could spend my money on it, um, but it will cater to a pretty specific crowd of people. So, you know, here's to you, Lexus, for continuing to do the weird thing that nobody else expected you to do. So going for something completely different from the Lexus RCF, uh, Ram unveiled their new heavy-duty pickup truck uh, that kind of updates, question mark, the previous one that they've had on sale for quite some time. Uh, the big headline, of course, with the 2019 Heavy Duties is that when equipped with the new uh, Cummins Turbo Diesel Straight 6, uh, the Ram is going to have over 1,000 pound-feet of torque and will be able to tow, tow upwards of 35,000 pounds uh, as a trailer behind the truck uh, in the 3,500 guys. This gets to be into crazy... Uh, very large format, near enough semi-truck uh, capable uh, numbers. Uh, this thing is 
arguably the biggest and baddest of the heavy-duty trucks that are out there today. Uh, that being said, Chevy appears to be ready to announce a new heavy-duty Silverado with more details perhaps uh, tomorrow at the Detroit Auto Show. So we will see if the Dodge stays on top for long. Uh, nevertheless, it is the updated engine. It uses a updated 8-speed uh, automatic. The, uh, I guess it's an Ison unit, is an attached to the standard uh Cummins I don't know there's a there's a big mess of names and numbers that are being thrown out with this truck and really I think the only reason why I'm personally interested in it is uh I spent a lot of time watching the TFL truck uh races up the Ike Gauntlet in outside of Denver Colorado and what is always interesting to me is seeing how these trucks are able to tow such insane amounts of weight up this you know 7% grade hill uh for what is it, mile and a half, two miles? It's some ridiculous, or five miles, or something like that. Anyway, these trucks are doing these incredible things, and the Rams have always been interesting to watch just because they handle things so differently with that diesel straight six versus the diesel V8s that uh, Chevy and Ford employ. The main interesting point on this truck is that as much as it is an improvement mechanically, at least in terms of the engine and transmission, it sounds like the frame, uh, even coming directly out of the uh, mouth of folks from Ram, is that not much has changed. Uh, there's been a few minor improvements to the overall uh, design of the vehicle, um, but a lot of things in the chassis are the same, body panels are reused, uh, really the main changes to this vehicle are, go are going to be in the interior and on the front fascia so if you're looking for an all new heavy duty truck uh it sounds like chevrolet is the only one who has an all new one uh to sell you in 2019 as a 2020 model other interesting things about this truck it sounds like we're getting a new power wagon so that's kind of exciting that is usually considered to be the ultimate off-road capable pickup truck you can buy uh, as much as the raptor is good at climbing things and being a desert racer uh the power wagon is going to get you through just about anything uh if you've never been inside one it is very strange how large they are uh how imposing they are uh so looking forward to seeing one in person uh not the most exciting announcement at this show uh but ram has been cleaning it up with their standard size pickup trucks as of late so you know people are going to be excited for things like this so this is your bag hope you enjoy it Well, it's been long rumored, and it is finally here. Uh, Ford pulled the wraps off the Shelby GT500 Mustang earlier, very early this morning uh, in Detroit. Uh, the main thing you need to know is that it has a 5.2-liter cross-plane V8 with a big-ass supercharger mounted on top. Uh, Ford doesn't have the official final horsepower number, but it's going to be over 700. Uh, Ford not content to take it sitting down with what uh, Chrysler has been pumping out with the Hellcat engines with 707 horsepower or what Chevy's been able to do with the LT4 V8s with uh, 700 plus horsepower in cars like the Corvette ZR1 or the Camaro ZL1. Uh, this new car is more or less a Shelby GT350 
with a much higher output V8, with a little bit more brakes, with a little more aero, uh, and with a lot more speed. Uh, as much as I think the GT350, and specifically the GT350R, is one of the best-sounding American V8s of all time, I think the GT500 might have it licked. Uh, if you haven't heard it, uh, head on over to Ford's uh, Ford's uh, Twitter account, uh, at least for the Ford Mustang, uh, it's got a great little video of the car racing around on the track. Uh, they're also debuting a new transmission in the car. Uh, they are expecting this uh, dual-clutch transmission, it's a 7-speed unit, uh, to be one of the fastest transmissions available in any sports car, at least coming out of the United States for now. Uh, I think it's really cool that Ford has finally jumped into this category of performance, at least in that aspect, uh, still waiting on GM to do the same thing. They haven't pulled the trigger on that quite yet. Um, but uh, really, this thing seems to have some incredible sporting potential. Uh, what I find really interesting about this is just how much it seems like it is a middle finger to Chevrolet. Um, Chevrolet has had a lot of problems with the LT4 powertrain in the Corvette. Not as much in the Camaro, uh, but these cars, uh, known for having heat soak issues. The supercharger just can't keep up with the heat uh, that the engine generates, and if it's even warmer outside it just kills the engine's performance and sends the car home in a limp home mode uh, to make sure that you don't damage anything uh, this ford hasn't really talked about anything like that uh, as it being a potential issue uh, what does surprise me is that they went with a supercharger on this flat plane crank v8 i thought for sure ford would have gone for turbochargers at this point uh, but nevertheless i mean 700 horsepower is just exceptional at this point and considering that this car will likely cost well under a hundred thousand dollars uh it's going to be a great performance bargain now whether or not the gt350r can take that much more power without being a little too much to handle i think it's hard to say uh the gt350r is a very capable performance machine as it is it's one of the best handling cars out there on the road today uh so i don't exactly expect this car to take any potential away from it. What does make me sad is that if I'm remembering things correctly, when the GT500 is here, that means the GT350 and 350R has to go away, and I would have loved to have seen a GT350R with this dual-clutch gearbox. Uh, it would have been a fantastic track machine. Uh, I think it definitely would have been a rival to the Porsche 911 GT3 as the ultimate streetable track machine, at least here in the United States, where you could get the Ford relatively easily. Um, but yeah, it's just a very cool car. And as a guy who grew up as a GM kid, I think it's safe to say that this is a hell of a lot cooler than most of what GM has on the road today. And I will definitely say that I'd take this thing over a Hellcat. As much as the Hellcat is really cool, this thing sounds a lot better. It looks a lot cooler, and it'll fit in a goddamn parking spot, so that's always an upside. Uh, but if you haven't had a chance, 100% recommend you head on over uh, to Twitter dot com slash uh, ford mustang and uh, check out that video that they posted about the gt500 this thing sounds absolutely incredible staying on the ford train for a moment we have some more details about the 2020 ford explorer which we talked about in a previous episode of this show uh, the 2020 Explorer, if you have forgotten in that time is a refresh of the ford uh, long 
best-selling Ford SUV. Uh, this one moves from a uh, Volvo-designed front-wheel drive bias chassis to a brand-new rear-wheel drive chassis that debuted under the Lincoln uh what is it, Nautilus, I believe, is the first one to get the one. Uh, but this new Ford Explorer is, you know, it's not a huge leap forward in design. Uh, it's really just a leap forward in execution, I think. It really looks the part. It really sells itself on its just capability to do what you need it to do uh, as an everyday vehicle. And uh, while well, they're adding two more models to the lineup beyond what they had previously announced, uh, the first one is a new hybrid model Ford Explorer. Uh, that new hybrid is going to use a 3.3 liter V6 uh, combined with a hybrid setup. Ford said it's going to put down about 300 and a little bit less than 320 horsepower, but it's going to have an estimated EPA range of over 500 miles. Uh, it's mated to a 10-speed automatic transmission, and the big battery is thrown in the back uh, under the second row seats to make sure that it's not eating up any cargo capacity. Ford didn't mention anything about pricing. Uh, what I do find interesting is they're not making that the standard trim model, as some brands are doing. Uh, not to say that Ford should have done that, uh, but... Uh, it seems kind of strange, especially as Ford wants to continue uh, boosting their EV powertrain lineup and options. Uh, that would have gone a good way to say that uh, it's something that the people should be able to have as the base trim model. What is a little more exciting, of course, is that there it will be an ST version of the Explorer. That was announced earlier today. Uh, the ST version will make 400 horsepower and 415 pound-feet of torque. and will have a top speed of 143 miles an hour. Uh, it's a 3-liter EcoBoost unit mated to a 10-speed automatic uh, and has standard four-wheel drive. I don't remember if that makes the Explorer ST faster than the new Ford Edge ST, um, but it certainly sounds like it's going to be a pretty capable all-weather vehicle. It's probably important to note that that unit will very likely end up being the police pursuit unit that we're going to see all over the country uh, after 2020. So I guess keep your eyes peeled on the rearview mirror because this uh big SUV isn't necessarily going to be a slouch when it comes to racing down the highway. I think my biggest holdup with this is that as much as I feel kind of okay with the idea of an ST-branded Ford Edge, an ST-branded Ford Explorer seems a little off the mark. I don't know if we're quite into Chevy's SS territory in the late aughts before the uh, company went into bankruptcy, uh, but we're kind of getting in the weeds with what can be a performance model and what can't be. I really think Ford should have kept on using the Explorer Sport name. Uh, it had a good bit of credibility, especially with the old 400-ish horse, or just short of 400 horsepower, twin-turbo V6 that it had before. Uh, the ST thing, you know, it's not going to make us performance enthusiasts happy. They already killed the Fiesta ST. They killed the Focus ST. Uh, these aren't the STs that people want, much less can afford in many cases. So it just seems like just a stupid way to go about doing this. But hey, you know, if you're in the market for a 400 plus horsepower crossover SUV, uh, it seems like this is going to be a pretty interesting buy. Uh, there was a write-up, I think it was on Autoblog, that compared the uh, output of the new Explorer to the uh, Durango SRT that came out relatively recently. And it looks like, at least on paper, uh, these 
trucks are going to be pretty similarly matched when it comes to straight line acceleration. Handling, I would take a bet and say that Ford might outdo the uh, Dodge pretty easily, uh, but the Dodge will out-tow the Ford rather handily by like 3,000 pounds. So depending on what you want, depending on what you need, depending how much of an asshole you want to be while towing your jet skis down 131, uh, the Ford Explorer ST or Dodge Durango SRT might be the right choice for you. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I'm most interested in this uh, Explorer hybrid. Uh, the Ford has had some pretty good hybrid systems in the past. Uh, we really haven't seen a lot of forward progress with that design uh, recently over the past few years. So we'll see how it ends up going. I'm not holding my breath for it to be some kind of uh, life-changing hybrid option. But at the very least, they're making steps forward, uh, you know. We'll see what happens in the very near future. I think if gas gets expensive, it's going to be a strong seller, but I can't imagine they're going to blow through a lot of these while gas is still hovering around $2 a gallon. So perhaps the biggest debut at the Detroit Auto Show is, of course, the 2020 Toyota Supra. After what feels like a decade of development and teasing and mules on the roads and on the Nürburgring and so much else, uh, Toyota has finally taken the time to tell us specifics about the car, uh, at least for the United States, as well as a few dribbles of information for Japan. Uh, key things to point out about the Supra is that, of course, as I've mentioned on, on the show, it was co-developed with BMW, so it rides on the same chassis as the new BMW Z4. Uh, at least here in the United States, the only engine option will be a BMW-sourced 3-liter twin-turbo straight-six that produces 335 horsepower and 365 pound-feet of torque. Over in Japan, they're going to going to offer two different versions of the BMW uh, turbocharged, I think it's single turbo, uh, two liter inline four. Uh, those models sounds like will not be coming to the United States. They may be offered in Europe, uh, but here we're making do with just the six pot. Uh, the standard vehicle uh, is going to weigh in at about 3,400 pounds, which is a little bit heavier than I think what some people expected, uh, but it's not grossly overweight. We're not going to have the nearly 40, or excuse me, 4,000 pound uh, Camaros and Mustangs that have been rolling around for a long time, even though those have lost a little bit of weight. I think it's about a 300 to 400 pound difference between this car and those two. Um, so strictly in terms of base trim performance models, uh, the Supra will likely hold its own against a Camaro SS and a Ford Mustang GT, uh, but there's a good chance that those are going to be a little bit quicker outright. Uh, basic performance figures that Toyota has given so far is that this car will go 0 to 60 in 4.1 seconds and have a top speed of 155 miles an hour. To me, that goes basic German performance coupe numbers. Uh, other things that Toyota announced at this uh, event are the prices. Uh, the base trim model is going to start at just under $50,000 before destination. Uh, the premium model is going to add another five grand, or excuse me, four grand to that, uh, which includes some uh, fancier audio system, some more uh, HUD things, uh, and leather seats. Whether or not that's worth an extra four grand to you, I think kind of depends. There'll be a specialty launch edition, which is like limited to 1,500 models. All it does is really give you some slightly different style adjustments, uh, and that's really about it. 
Uh, what is interesting about the car is that uh, it will have a standard adjustable suspension, a magnetic ride suspension. Uh, it has a standard, and it is the only option, 8-speed automatic, which sounds like it's the unit that comes from ZF uh, that everybody seems to love. Uh, Toyota said that the car does have a 50-50 weight distribution. And then there was a thing I was uh, watching on CarWow earlier today about the uh, Toyota, and it is that the car uses what is called a golden ratio when it comes to the amount of grip and uh, handling balance that's available to the car. So that uh, there's the tires aren't too wide and the track isn't, or excuse me, the uh, wheelbase isn't too long, so it's going to be fun, it's going to be capable, it's not going to fly out of your hands unexpectedly, it's going to be a very well-balanced sports car. Uh, what is interesting is that uh, they're also going to be using the Gazoo Racing brand, which I kind of mentioned back with the uh, Lexus announcement. Uh, the GR branding will sit on the back of the car as they did the primary engineering of the vehicle over the past few years. Uh, I believe that makes this the first Gazoo branded car that's been sold in the U.S. Over in Europe, they've had a Gazoo branded Yaris for a few years now, and they've set hinted at doing other Gazoo models uh, in the near future beyond this particular model. Now the big controversy of course on the internet is whether or not this is a worthy successor to the MK4 Supra and I would say to that generally shut the fuck up. Uh, this is meant to be a different car. This is a modern Supra so it is meant to be a somewhat affordable, comfortable, capable sports car uh, not one of the bubble area monstrosities, I shouldn't say monstrosity, one of the bubble area uh, monsters that it was uh, in the early to mid 90s. Now, don't expect this thing to go chasing down any Nissan GTRs. Don't expect this thing to go chasing down any Acura NSXs. I think Toyota did the right thing by keeping the overall uh, goal of this vehicle to be an achievable, as in cost cost preventative, or not cost preventative, uh, it's a relatively affordable performance coupe that a lot of people could get into and enjoy easily. As much as I would say that to some extent, perhaps the Z4 is the slightly better looking car, I think the Toyota is the one I'd want to live with every day. And I think honestly, even compared to some extent, I would have to drive all of them back to back. I might say the Toyota might be a more usable an everyday vehicle compared to the Camaro and the Mustang, even though it lacks rear seats, simply because it's not going to be as loud. It's not going to be as, uh, you know, it's not going to have those pillbox viewing windows out the side. Uh, you know, you're not going to get those middle fingers from other people with how you probably drive like an asshole with one of those cars. I think it's just going to be a really well-liked performance coupe, and I think that's really all we could have asked for Toyota, uh, or asked from Toyota at this point, and I really feel like they delivered on it. So I'm really excited to see the car show up in other colors. Uh, really wanted to see that yellow model uh, that the uh, photos leaked of a while back. I really want to see this car in like a bright white with black wheels. I think that would look absolutely incredible. And as always, white with black TE37 wheels, that's the way to go on this car. So 
can't wait to hear more about this car. I can't wait to see some of the driving impressions. I can't wait to hear about some of the reviews. I think we're going to get it all very soon on the Toyota. So stay tuned for more on the new Supra. But if you can't tell already, I'm relatively excited about this new car. So perhaps surprising only me, Volkswagen pulled the wraps off a new, in air quotes, Passat uh, that's going to be out later this year and will be designated a 2020 model. Now, if you've been keeping up with Volkswagen news as of late, uh, many of their models have jumped to the MQA and B platforms uh, that underpin everything from the uh, Audi A7 to the uh, a Ford on down to the TT crossover to the Volkswagen Golf, the new Jetta, uh, many crossovers like the Tiguan and more. Uh, this platform is everywhere and everywhere, anywhere and everywhere. And this new Passat doesn't get it. Uh, this Passat is rolling on the same uh, North American built and design platform that it's been on for the past five, six, seven years. It's been quite a long time since we've had a new Passat. And Volkswagen's argument is that, well, that chassis was good enough and they want to make some more money out of it. And Americans seem to like the size and performance of this car um, as if they moved it to the new chassis. We would have likely seen the car transfer to the European body style, which is a little bit smaller and would be a little less competitive compared to the much larger Honda Accord, Toyota Camry, and Nissan Altima that generally dominate this segment here in the United States. Updates to this car, like I said, are pretty slim. The chassis isn't really all new. It's been slightly altered compared to the outgoing model. Uh, the front fascia, outside exterior, Jetta style, outside and in, uh, it kind of brings the car up to snuff to where it needs to be for the marketplace these days. The standard 2-liter turbocharged engine has been massaged as well. Uh, power figures are up slightly for horsepower, uh, or excuse me, not for horsepower, but for torque. Uh, in theory, Volkswagen says this should make it feel a little more beefy out on the road. Uh, the standard 6-speed automatic is still there, which seems archaic these days when everything has uh, 7, 8, 9, 10 speeds uh, all together. But on the upside, you know, if Volkswagen mostly, for the most part, has been making this car for the better part of a decade, uh, you can bet as much as it can be as a Volkswagen, this car should be fairly reliable. Other things to be mentioned on this car, perhaps only one thing that interests me, is that they're doing a launch edition of this car, which means a special color and bigger wheels. Uh, the ubiquity of these launch editions for so many cars going forward these days is really weird, and perhaps this needs to be talked about in a separate thing, uh, but I just don't understand why, even as a longtime Volkswagen fan, especially as a Passat fan, I don't know why anybody would spend this kind of money for a launch edition model. Uh, it seems crazy, and you know, Volkswagen prices are really crazy these days, and I think really the question has to be, does Volkswagen seem crazy for spending the money to develop a new Passat when they still don't have a very good lineup of crossovers and SUVs in their lineup, let alone a super competitive Jetta? Uh, we haven't seen a lot of updates for the Golf yet either. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, with the Accord, Altima, Camry, Sonata, uh, Optima, so many other cars really running the show when it comes to the sedan game. Uh, the Passat really kind of falls down the list a bit 
when it comes to shopping. And, you know, Volkswagen needs every sale that's out there these days. Uh, and with the ID cars coming, uh, I think really generally the sedan's days are numbered, specifically the internal combustion engine sedan's days are numbered. Uh, Volkswagen did announce at the show, too, that they're going to be adding uh, thousands of jobs down in Tennessee where they're going to be building many of their EV vehicles, and I'm willing to bet they've got an EV lined up ready to replace this car. So perhaps, maybe, to some extent, that explains why Volkswagen just rehashed what they already had on the shelf and will just let it roll for the next four or five years until an electric car eventually replaces it. Although it isn't exactly the biggest announcement at the Detroit Auto Show, I find it to be one of the ones that is most interesting. The 2020 Kia Telluride finally got its due uh, at the Detroit Auto Show, uh, taking off from where the Hyundai Palisade left off. Uh, if you don't remember when I talked about the Hyundai Palisade a few episodes ago, uh, it is a nearly full-size crossover, so think something along the lines of a Honda Pilot Toyota Highlander, Jeep Grand Cherokee, perhaps the new Chevy Blazer. Uh, it's going to be a pretty decently sized vehicle. It's a three-row SUV, so two in the front, three in the middle, two in the back. Um, it's going to seat the folks pretty comfortably. Uh, it's got a very square body design compared to the Hyundai Palisade that I actually find strangely attractive. Uh, some of the show vehicles have been shown in this greenish goldish coppery color that kind of changes as you turn in different ways with the light and I think it really is a stunningly good looking Kia in a weird way. Now the other thing that interests me about this is that I see ghosts of the old Kia Borrego and if you don't remember what the Kia Borrego is it is a body on frame SUV that Kia launched back in 2008 uh, as a 2009 model and if those years don't ring a bell that was the entrance of the financial collapse that really spelled the end for that vehicle as soon as it hit the street. Now what Kia learned from the Borrego is that you can't go too hard into this segment and uh, this one seems to be a little bit more on the luxurious end of things than what I figured it would be. Now granted a lot of the models that we're seeing at this auto show are SX trim which means they're going to have all of the fancy interior appointments, the leather, the 10.25 inch touchscreen. Uh, the big panoramic sunroof, all that kind of stuff. Uh, not every model is going to look like that, and I'd be really curious to know what the standard uh, EX model will actually look and feel like, but the, uh, the those S and SX models I think are going to look damn good and are going to do a great job uh, really propelling the Kia brand forward as a quasi-luxury brand, probably in the same way that Mazda is kind of doing things right now. Uh, general notes just on the thing, it's a 3.8 liter V6, 291 horsepower, uh, front wheel drive is standard, all wheel drive is optional, uh, the all wheel drive system has some interesting settings, uh, sport eco and comfort modes that are going to send power to the wheels in different ways, um, I don't think this thing's going to go run up trails the way that, uh, you know, the new Ford, uh, Explorer might be able to do with its uh, terrain control system, or maybe what the Jeep Grand Cherokee would do otherwise, uh, but it should be more than capable to get the kids to school on an inclement weather day, and I think that's more than enough for Kia at this point. Um, 
But like I said, this thing's got a 10.25 inch touchscreen across the top of the dash. It looks absolutely fabulous. It's a horizontally opposed system compared to the popularity of the vertically aligned systems that are coming out these days. Uh, really, the interior of this car smacks of an Audi and the exterior kind of looks a little Volvo-ish, and it really seems like Kia has done their homework on what needs to be accomplished to make themselves a semi-luxury brand in some respects. Uh, I'm really impressed with this vehicle. I'm really excited to see it in person. I do hope that they let us sit inside one at some point. Uh, it looks fantastic. I can't wait to see one in person uh, later here in 2019. So weird that I'm this excited for a crossover SUV. Last up, a couple of small uh, announcements that really might not make much of an impact at the Detroit Auto Show, but are worth noting nevertheless. Uh, there is the new Hyundai Elantra GT N-Line, uh, which basically means that they're getting rid of the Elantra GT Sport, which of course is the sporty edition of the Hyundai Elantra GT, which is the hatchback of the Elantra, which aligns itself with the European styling elements, not the American styling elements uh, here in the North American market. Uh, more or less, it's a GTI by any other name, or a GTI competitor by any other name. Uh, the main thing here is that Hyundai is making some pretty big leaps to make the N brand like the BMW M brand uh, here in the U.S. Uh, that Elantra GT N-Line adds some pretty credible performance upgrades to the chassis of the car, um, has a little bit of a grippier tire setup, uh, adds some niceties to the interior, all for about $25,000. It's a relative steal in the marketplace these days, but it does make the car a little more expensive than the four-door version which depending on what you like and don't like about either model uh, really determines which one's the best for you i'd have the inline hatchback compared to the sedan sport model um, but that really comes down to i don't really care for the new 2019 body style that they just adapted to that car now sticking to the uh, end branding for just a moment uh the Hyundai Veloster TCR, or Hyundai Veloster N TCR is a new thing that's coming out very soon. Uh, they're going to be entering this car into the uh, Rolex Daytona 24-hour race, uh, racing as a uh, lower-rung sports car in that event. Uh, I'm pretty excited to see Hyundai in the motorsport arena here in the United States. That has not really been a thing here. They've been competing in Europe and Asia for quite some time, so eager to see what kind of performance they can get out of this car out on the track. Uh, They've really done a bang-up job with the Veloster N and the i30N over in Europe, and uh, it's just exciting to see another car company really kind of take it to the street and to the track uh, to prove their sporting credentials worldwide. Now, another one of the worst-kept secrets at the Detroit Auto Show is that we are getting a special edition Subaru WRX. Uh, likely this is going to be the last of the WRXs based on its current chassis. Uh, this model is known as the WRX STI S209. More or less it's 341 horsepower, loses a little bit of weight, gets some special trim, some gold wheels, uh, and it's going to be a 50 plus thousand dollar car. Um, not much was really said other than that. Uh, super limited production numbers. I'm going to guess 209. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a very capable all-wheel drive performance car like any other WRX is, but until we get the brand new chassis WRX, I just go, eh, 
it's not a new car. And until we get a brand spanking new one, it's really not worth salivating over, in my opinion. Uh, one other interesting announcement is that Cadillac is making good on their CT6V plan. Uh, if you recall that they are getting rid of the CT6 here in the United States very soon. Uh, production of that car is moving to China, where the car has sold quite well. Here in the U.S., they're killing it off just because tariffs and SUVs and so many other things. Uh, the CT6V uh, is going to have a twin-turbo 3.6-liter V6 that makes 550 horsepower uh, and will have a base price of 80 $9,000 or just under $89,000. Um, it does have these styling elements that are uh, ripped straight off of the Buick Escala concept from a few years ago that debuted at Pebble Beach, which is still one of the most striking design uh, elements uh, to ever come out of GM as a whole. Uh, I'm really excited to see this car out on the street. I'm sad that we're only going to have it for a year or so, um, but what a great swan song to the car overall. Uh, they're saying that they're not going to build many, if any. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be less than 2,000 units here in the U.S. before the car makes a disappearance. Uh, so sad to see it go, but at least it's going on a good swan song or like that. Uh, GAC uh, announced an interesting uh, little roundabout concept car thing called the GAC and Trans concept. Uh, more or less, it's a three-row crossover that's styled kind of like a minivan uh if you think back to like what people thought cars in the 21st century were going to look like in the early 90s you kind of get an idea of what it is but it actually looks like a practical driving solution uh what is strange about this car is that the front row seats are uh, a bench and then the two rows behind it are uh two seats each captain's chairs um really they're just looking to make a lifestyle family vehicle um you know, GAC has been showing up at the Detroit Auto Show these past few years. Um, they've always had an interesting car or two. They've made a lot of threats to enter the U.S. market. You know, the clock is ticking. Everybody keeps saying 2020. Uh, if Trump doesn't pull the trigger on these auto tariffs, I think it could be possible in the very near future to see Chinese brands here. I think GAC is maybe not one of the ones I'm most interested in. Uh, but nevertheless, I like seeing these efforts come in uh, from them every year. Another interesting car uh, that got the wraps pulled off, at least in terms of concept cars, is the Infiniti QX Inspiration. Uh, I believe it is a full EV vehicle. Uh, it is a crossovery type SUV thing that's all the rage these days. Uh, what is interesting is that it is a four-door body style uh, that uses suicide doors on the rear. Uh, it's a pillarless uh, system, so there's no B pillar in the car, so no no pillar in between the front and rear doors. Uh, it opens up into this spacious cockpit that really looks like a a lounge would be. Uh, a lot of mix of interesting materials like uh, Alcantara natural wood, gold, so on and so forth. And it uses this really interesting lighting element up on the ceiling that looks like um, an old Japanese temple. Um, what they're really showing with this car, not a whole lot. Uh, I would guess that the design elements that are being shown are going to kind of point to where uh, Infinity wants to go as a brand in the near future. It's been a while since we've seen an update to the QX50, otherwise known as the FX35 and FX50. Uh, those cars are quite ancient at this point, so give it another year or so, and I'm willing to bet that the QX Inspiration really decides how those end up looking. 
Another interesting car out of the Nissan-Renault alliance is the, well, Nissan IM's concept. Uh, it's an electric performance sedan, think four-door SE, which means that it seems to be a slightly smaller Maxima replacement uh, that uses an EV powertrain. Really, what we're getting out of this car is not... A whole lot. Nissan is really good at making these crazy concept vehicles uh, for any of their brands, um, but more or less, I'm guessing, again, it is a styling exercise that it's going to kind of give us the next step uh, forward with the V-Motion grille, with the floating roof on the back, uh, with some of the lighting elements that are going on right now. The Maxima really pushed the envelope, I think, for the V-Motion style, um, and this seems to be the evolution of it. Now, whether or not the EV powertrain underneath it ends up hitting the streets, uh, in any capacity anytime soon. Uh, I would hope to be the case, uh, but when you look at the interior of this car with these like floating steel balls that hold up this like, it looks like a leather plate, it looks visually incredible in the same way that Blade Runner 2049 looks visually incredible, uh, but the practicality of this car hitting the street anytime soon is just not there. Uh, but, you know, as an idea for what the Maxima could be in the next few years, I think it's pretty cool. And I definitely would be interested in a 40 SC uh, type EV sedan. Another concept car that was unveiled at the Detroit Auto Show, or not necessarily unveiled, it was more or less, we got a picture of it. And I don't know if that really says much about what it is or what it should be. Um, but Cadillac unveiled a crossover type SUV wagon-y thing uh, without a name. And all we know is that it's going to be their first EV project. Uh, they had that story leak a couple weeks ago, or at least it was last week, uh, where Cadillac is going to be taking over the EV uh, development branding over at GM. Uh, they're going to take precedent on a lot of new things when it comes to EVs, and this is going to be their first full EV model. What is safe to assume is that, of course, just like the Germans, it'll be a $70,000 five-seat passenger crossover with 250 miles of range and a somewhere around 75 to 100 kilowatt hour battery. Uh, I, I don't really know if there's any reason to get excited other than it has those Escala-type design features on the front and rear of the vehicle. It is a very good-looking crossover-y SUV wagon-type thing, um, but aside from photos, we really don't know anything about it. Uh, if we're going to see this car in the flesh anytime soon, I would imagine it would probably be the New York Auto Show, where I might have to wait until sometime next year in Los Angeles. Uh, nevertheless, I'm just not getting my hopes up. Uh, with the way that the X-T6 in my mind kind of fell a little flat, um, I imagine this kind of will too. I mean, Cadillac really is hitting the ball out of the park when it comes to visual style on the exterior of the cars for me, um, but mechanically, you know, I just don't know if it's going to be there. And, you know, with the ungodly sums of money that they're charging for a lot of their cars as of late, uh, I can't imagine it's going to be a good value uh, when it comes to luxury EVs anyway. Well, in the last bit of news and heading into the wrap-up of the show, uh, we did get three announcements for the North American Vehicles of the Year. Uh, that would be the Ram 1500 for truck, 
uh, the Hyundai Kona for SUV, and the Genesis G70 for the car of the year. Interesting to note that Hyundai Kia Genesis took home two of the awards and the Ram 1500 got it for truck. That means that the new Chevy Silverado got snubbed, and it continues the point that, uh, well, the Ram 1500 is really the truck to beat in this segment these days. Uh, these uh, North American Car of the Year uh, things, they've been being evaluated for the past couple months. I know some of the guys on uh, Motor Week, uh, specifically the main host guy whose name I just cannot recall at this point in time, uh, Jim Davis, I think that's it. Uh, he was talking about uh, doing this evaluation weeks and months ago, um, so it sounds like uh, they've been looking into these for a long time, and Obviously, big congratulations to Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis for pulling off a twofer in this effort. Uh, shame that the Palisade wasn't out a year earlier because they honestly could have probably swept these awards with how much progress they've made with their brands overall. But really, guys, that's it for Day 1 News. Uh, my voice is just about shot. Um, if you want to follow up on more news as it comes, I highly recommend following uh, Jalopnik online, Autoblog, uh, Really, any of those ones, uh, the guys over at the Fast Lane, uh, Truck, Car, Now, all that stuff, they always seem to get videos out right away on a lot of these new car launches as well. I really enjoy the Kelly Blue Book reviews of these cars at the show. Um, Micah and team really do a great job uh, kind of breaking down a lot of what's there and having a lighthearted approach to what they talk about at these auto shows. So kudos to them and give them some views on YouTube. Uh, as far as other things go tomorrow, I know of only one brand that for sure had some level of announcements, and I think it's Chevrolet. Um, whether or not we get the new Corvette uh, to be shown off, I kind of doubt it. Chevy's saying no, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean it won't happen. Um, I don't remember who else is on the docket for tomorrow. There are a few things. Um, as I said last week, too, there are a lot of brands that are missing from this year's Detroit Auto Show, including BMW, um, so don't expect much from the Germans. Um, as far as other news coming out this week, well, you know, the Detroit Auto Show is always full of surprises, so there could be some weird... Um, things that happen. I don't think we're going to get cows uh, riding down Washington Avenue or a uh, Jeep to drive through the front window of Cobo Hall, but uh, this year I think is going to kind of be a nice little swan song to the end of the winter times, and once we kick it into summer next year, hopefully we have just that little bit more fun at the Detroit Auto Show. So, with all that in mind, guys, I'm your host, Brad Ezelike. You can follow me on Twitter, at YSSMAN, uh, where I will do my best to tweet about some of these car stories as they come out. After all, I'm at work, and I do work a uh, 9-to-5 job most days of the week. Uh, we will do another episode of the show, hopefully tomorrow, with some interesting announcements and break down the stuff as they come out chronologically as I dig through my automotive news feed. And, uh, yeah, if you have any comments, you want to leave me a line here at anchor at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN, be greatly appreciated. Uh, normally we do the show twice a week, one early in the week, one on Friday. Uh, this week will be a little more stacked unevenly. So bear with me. If you're diving through the feed, you can follow back on other episodes of the show here at anchor FM at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN or search salvage title on Spotify, Google play podcast, Apple iTunes podcasts, so much more. They're up for free. Um, give them a listen if you haven't gone back and checked them out. So guys, it's nearly 10 o'clock at night. It's almost time for bed. 
I hope you have a great night, and we will chat tomorrow about day two of the Detroit, the North American International Auto Show.